Chapter Eleven of Ziska by Marie Corelli, read by Ilianthi. The next two or three days passed without any incident of interest occurring to move the languid calm and excite the fleeting interest of the fashionable English and European visitors who were congregated at the Gezira Palace Hotel. The anxious flirtations of Dolly and Muriel Chetwynd Lyle afforded subjects of mirth to the profane. The wonderfully youthful toilettes of Lady Falkwood provided several keynotes from which to strike frivolous conversation, and when the great painter Armand Gervaise actually made a sketch of her ladyship for his own amusement, and made her look about sixteen and girlish at that, his popularity knew no bounds. Everyone wanted to give him a commission, particularly the elderly fair, and he could have made a fortune had he chosen, after the example set by the English academicians, by painting the portraits of ugly nobodies who were ready to pay you any price to be turned out as handsome somebodies. But he was too restless and ill at ease to apply himself steadily to work. The glowing skies of Egypt, the picturesque groups of natives to be seen at every turn, the curious corners of old Cairo, these made no impression upon his mind at all, and when he was alone he passed whole half-hours staring at the strange picture he had made of the Princess Ziska, wherein the face of death seemed confronting him through a mask of life, and he welcomed with a strong sense of relief and expectation the long-looked-for evening of the Princess's reception, to which many of the visitors in Cairo had been invited since a fortnight and which those persons who always profess to be in the know, even if they are wallowing in ignorance, declared would surpass any entertainment ever given during the Kyrian season. The night came at last. It was exceedingly sultry, but bright and clear, and the moon shone with effective brilliance on the gaily attired groups of people that between nine and ten o'clock began to throng the narrow street in which the carved tomb-like portal of the Princess Ziska's residence was the most conspicuous object. Lady Chetwynd Lyle, remarkable for bad taste in her dress and the disposal of her diamonds, stared in haughty amazement at the Nubian, who saluted her and her daughters with the grin peculiar to his uninviting cast of countenance, and swept into the courtyard, attended by her husband, with an air as though she imagined her presence gave the necessary flavour of good style to the proceedings. She was followed by Lady Falkwood, innocently clad in white, and wearing a knot of lilies on her prettily enamelled left shoulder. Lord Falkwood, Denzil Murray, and his sister, Helen, also wore white, but though she was in the twenties, and Lady Falkwood was in the sixties, the girl had so much sadness in her face, and so much tragedy in her soft eyes, that she looked, if anything, older than the old woman. Gervaise and Dr. Dean arrived together, and found themselves in a brilliant, crushing crowd of people, all of different nationalities, and all manifesting a good deal of impatience, because they were delayed a few minutes in an open court, where a couple of stone lions with wings were the only spectators of their costumes. "'Most singular behaviour," said Lady Chetwynd Lyle, snorting and sniffing, "'to keep us waiting outside like this. The Princess has no idea of European manners.' As she spoke, 
a sudden blaze of light flamed on the scene and twenty tall egyptian servants in white with red turbans carrying lighted torches and marching two by two crossed the court and by mute yet stately gestures invited the company to follow and the company did follow in haste with scramble and rudeness as is the way of european manners nowadays and presently having been relieved of their cloaks and wrappings stood startled and confounded in a huge hall richly adorned with silk and cloth of gold hangings where between two bronze sphinxes the princess ziska attired wonderfully in a dim pale rose colour with flecks of jewels flashing from her draperies here and there waited to receive her guests like a queen she stood behind her towered a giant palm and at her feet were strewn roses and lotus lilies on either side of her seated on the ground were young girls gorgeously clad and veiled to the eyes in the egyptian fashion and as the staring heated and impetuous swarm of travelling english and americans came face to face with her in her marvellous beauty they were for the moment stricken spellbound and could scarcely summon up the necessary assurance to advance and take the hand she outstretched to them in welcome she appeared not to see the general embarrassment and greeted all who approached her with courteous ease and composure speaking the few words which every graceful hostess deems adequate before passing on her visitors and presently music began music wild and fantastic of a character unknown to modern fashionable ears yet strangely familiar to armand gervaise who started at the first sound of it and seemed enthralled that is not an ordinary orchestra said dr dean in his ear the instruments are ancient and the form of melody is barbaric gervaise answered nothing for the princess siska just then approached them come into the red saloon she said i am persuading my guests to pass on there i have an old bas-relief on the walls which i would like you to see you especially dr dean for you are so learned in antiquities i hear you are trying to discover traces of araxes i am replied the doctor you interested me very much in his history he was a great man said the princess slowly piloting them as she spoke without hurry and with careful courtesy through the serried ranks of the now freely chattering and animated company much greater than any of your modern heroes but he had two faults faults which frequently accompany the plentitude of power cruelty and selfishness he betrayed and murdered the only woman that ever loved him ziska charmazel murdered her exclaimed dr dean how oh it is only a legend and the princess smiled turning her dark eyes with a bewitching languor on gervaise who for some reason or other which he could not explain felt as if he were walking in a dream on the edge of a deep chasm of nothingness into which he must presently sink to utter destruction all these old histories happened so long ago that they are nothing but myths now to the present generation time does not rob any incident of its interest to me said dr dean ages hence queen victoria will be as much a doubtful potentate as king lud to the wise student of things there is no time and no distance 
all history from the very beginning is like a wonderful chain in which no link is ever really broken and in which every part fits closely to the other part though why the chain should exist at all is a mystery we cannot solve yet i am quite certain that even our late friend araxes has his connection with the present if only for the reason that he lived in the past how do you argue out that theory asked gervaise with sudden interest how do you argue it the question is how can you argue at all about anything that is so plain and demonstrated a fact the doctrine of evolution proves it everything that we were once has its part in us now suppose if you like that we were originally no more than shells on the shore some remnant of the nature of the shell must be in us at this moment nothing is lost nothing is wasted not even a thought i carry my theories very far pursued the doctor looking keenly from one to the other of his silent companions as they walked beside him through a long corridor towards the red saloon which could be seen brilliantly lit up and thronged with people very far indeed especially in regard to matters of love i maintain that if it is decreed that the soul of a man and the soul of a woman must meet must rush together not all the forces of the universe can hinder them ay even if they were for some conventional cause or circumstance themselves reluctant to consummate their destiny it would nevertheless despite them be consummated for mark you in some form or other they have rushed together before whether as flames in the air or twining leaves on a tree or flowers in a field they have felt the sweetness and fitness of each other's being in former lives and the craving sense of that sweetness and fitness can never be done away with never not as long as this present universe lasts it is a terrible thing continued the doctor in a lower tone a terrible fatality the desire of love in some cases it is a curse in others a divine and priceless blessing the results depend entirely on the temperaments of the human creatures possessed by its fever when it kindles rises and burns towards heaven in a steady flame of ever brightening purity and faith then it makes marriage the most perfect union on earth the sweetest and most blessed companionship but when it is a mere gust of fire bright and fierce as the sudden leaping light of a volcano then it withers everything at a touch faith honour truth and dies into dull ashes in which no spark remains to warm or inspire man's higher nature better death than such a love for it works misery on earth but who can tell what horrors it may not create hereafter the princess looked at him with a strange weird gleam in her dark eyes you are right she said it is just the hereafter that men never think of i am glad you at least acknowledge the truth of the life beyond death i am bound to acknowledge it returned the doctor inasmuch as i know it exists gervaise glanced at him with a smile in which there was something of contempt you are very much behind the age doctor he remarked lightly very much behind indeed agreed dr dean composedly the age rushes on too rapidly for me and gives no time to the consideration of things by the way i stop 
I take breathing space in which to think. Life without thought is madness, and I desire to have no part in a mad age. At that moment they entered the Red Saloon, a stately apartment which was entirely modelled after the most ancient forms of Egyptian architecture. The centre of the vast room was quite clear of furniture, so that the Princess Ziska's guests went wandering up and down, to and fro, entirely at their ease, without crush or inconvenience, and congregated in corners for conversation, though if they chose they could recline on low divans and gorgeously cushioned benches, ranged against the walls and sheltered by tall palms and flowering exotics. The music was heard to better advantage here than in the hall, where the company had first been received, and as the princess moved to a seat under the pale green frondage of a huge tropical fern, and bade her two companions sit beside her, sounds of the wildest, most melancholy and haunting character began to palpitate upon the air in the mournful, throbbing fashion in which a nightingale sings when its soul is burdened with love. The passionate tremor that shakes the bird's throat at mating time seemed to shake the unseen instruments that now discoursed strange melody, and Gervaise, listening dreamily, felt a curious contraction and aching at his heart, and a sense of suffocation in his throat, combined with an insatiate desire to seize in his arms the mysterious Aziska, with her dark, fathomless eyes, and a light yet voluptuous form, to drag her to his breast and crush her there, whispering, "'Mine, mine, by all the gods of the past and present!' mine who shall tear her from me who dispute my right to love her ruin her murder her if i choose she is mine the bas-relief i told you of is just above us said the princess then addressing herself to the doctor would you like to examine it one of the servants shall bring you a lighted taper and by passing it in front of the sculpture you will be able to see the design better ah mr murray and she smiled as she greeted denzil who just then approached you're in time to give us your opinion i want dr dean to see that very old piece of stone carving on the wall above us it will serve as a link for him in the history of araxes indeed murmured denzil somewhat abstractly the princess glanced at his brooding face and laughed you i know are not interested at all in old history she went on the past has no attraction for you. No, the present is enough, he replied, with a glance of mingled hope and passion. She smiled, and signing to one of her Egyptian attendants, bade him bring a lighted taper. He did so, and passed it slowly up and down, and to the right and left of the large piece of ancient sculpture that occupied more than half the wall, while Dr. Dean stood by spectacles on nose to examine the carving as closely as possible several other people attracted by what was going on paused to look also and the princess undertook to explain the scene depicted this piece of carving is of the date of the king amenhotep or amenophis three of the eighteenth dynasty it represents the return of the warrior araxes a favourite servant of the king's after some brilliant victory. You see, 
there is the triumphal car in which he rides drawn by winged horses and behind him are the solar deities ra sikar tmu and osiris he is supposed to be approaching his palace in triumph the gates are thrown open to receive him and coming out to meet him is the chief favourite of his harem the celebrated dancer of that period ziska charmazel whom he afterwards murdered you say queried dr dean meditatively yes he murdered her simply because she loved him too well and was in the way of his ambition there was nothing astonishing in his behaviour not even if you consider it in the light of modern times men always murder morally if not physically the women who love them too well you truly think that asked denzil murray in a low tone i not only truly think it i truly know it she answered with a disdainful flash of her eyes of course i speak of strong men with strong passions they're the only kind of men women ever worship of course a weak good-natured man is different he would probably not harm a woman for the world or give her the least cause for pain if he could help it but that sort of man never becomes either an adept or a master in love araxes was probably both no doubt he considered he had a perfect right to slay what he had grown weary of he thought no more than men of his type think to-day that the taking of a life demands a life in exchange if not in this world then in the next the group of people near her were all silent gazing with an odd fascination at the quaint and ancient sculptured figures above them when all at once dr dean taking the taper from the hands of the egyptian servant held the flame close to the features of the warrior riding in the car of triumph and said slowly do you not see a curious resemblance princess between this araxes and a friend of ours here present monsieur armand gervaise will you kindly step forward yes that will do turn your head slightly so yes now observe the outline of the features of araxes as carven in this sculpture thousands of years ago and compare it with the outline of the features of our celebrated friend the greatest french artist of his day am i the only one who perceives the remarkable similarity of contour and expression the princess made no reply a smile crossed her lips but no word escaped them several persons however pressed eagerly forward to look at and comment upon what was indeed a startling likeness the same straight fierce brows the same proud firm mouth the same almond-shaped eyes were as it seemed copied from the ancient entablature and repeated in flesh and blood in the features of gervaise even denzil murray absorbed though he was in conflicting thoughts of his own was struck by the coincidence it is really very remarkable he said allowing for the peculiar style of drawing and design common to ancient egypt the portrait of araxes might pass for gervaise in egyptian costume gervaise himself was silent some mysterious emotion held him mute and he was only aware of a vague irritation that fretted him without any seemingly adequate cause dr dean meanwhile pursued his investigations with the lighted taper 
and presently turning round on the assembled little group of bystanders, he said, "'I have just discovered another singular thing. The face of the woman here, the dancer and favourite, is the face of our charming hostess, the Princess Ziska.' Exclamations of wonder greeted this announcement, and everybody craned their necks to see, and then the princess spoke, slowly and languidly. "'Yes,' she murmured, "'I was hoping you would perceive that. I myself noticed how very like me is the famous Ziska Charmazel, and that is just why I dressed in her fashion for the fancy ball the other evening. It seemed to me the best thing to do, as I wanted to choose an ancient period.' and then, you know, I bear half her name. Dr. Dean looked at her keenly, and a somewhat grim smile wrinkled his lips. You could not have done better, he declared. You and the dancing girl of Araxes might be twin sisters. He lowered the taper he held, that it might more strongly illuminate her face, and as the outline of her head and throat and bust was thrown into full relief, Gervaise staring at her, was again conscious of that sudden, painful emotion of familiarity which had before overwhelmed him, and he felt that in all the world he had no such intimate knowledge of any woman as he had of Ziska. He knew her. Ah, how did he not know her? Every curve of that pliant form was to him the living memory of something once possessed and loved and he pressed his hand heavily across his eyes for a moment to shut out the sight of all the exquisite voluptuous grace which shook his self-control and tempted him almost beyond man's mortal endurance. "'Are you not well, Monsieur Gervaise?' said Dr. Dean, observing him closely, and handing back the lighted taper to the Egyptian servant who waited to receive it. The portraits on this old carving have perhaps affected you unpleasantly, yet there is really nothing of importance in such a coincidence. Nothing of importance, perhaps, but surely something of singularity, interrupted Denzil Murray, especially in the resemblance between the princess and the dancing girl of that ancient period. Their features are positively line for line alike. The princess laughed. Yes, is it not curious, she said, and taking the taper from her servant, she sprang lightly on one of the benches near the wall, and leaned her beautiful head on the entablature, so that her profile stood out close against that of the once-reputed Ziska Charmazel. We are, as Dr. Dean says, twins. Several of the guests had now gathered together in that particular part of the room, and they all looked up at her as she stood thus, in silent and somewhat superstitious wonderment, the fascinating dancer, famed in ages past, and the lovely living charmeress of the present were the image of each other, and so extraordinary was the resemblance that it was almost what some folks would term uncanny. The fair Ziska did not, however, give her acquaintances time for much meditation or surprise concerning the matter, for she soon came down from her elevation near the sculptured frieze and extinguishing the taper she held, she said lightly, "'As Dr. Dean has remarked, there is really nothing of importance in the coincidence. Ages ago, in the time of Araxes, roses must have bloomed, and who shall say that a rose in today's garden 
is not precisely the same in size, scent, and colour as one that Araxes himself plucked at his palace gates. Thus, if flowers are born alike in different ages, why not women and men? Very well argued, princess, said the doctor. I quite agree with you. Nature is bound to repeat some of her choicest patterns, lest she should forget the art of making them. There was now a general movement among the guests, that particular kind of movement which means irritability and restlessness, and implies that either supper must be immediately served, or else some novel entertainment be brought in to distract attention and prevent tedium. The princess, turning to Gervaise, said smilingly, Apropos of the dancing girl of Araxes, and the art of dancing generally, I'm going to entertain the company presently by letting them see a real old dance of Thebes. If you'll excuse me a moment, I must just prepare them and get the room slightly cleared. I will return to you presently. She glided away with her usual noiseless grace, and within a few minutes of her departure, the gay crowds began to fall back against the walls and disperse themselves generally in expectant groups here and there, the Egyptian servants moving in and out and evidently informing them of the entertainment in prospect. "'Well, I shall stay here,' said Dr. Dean, "'underneath this remarkable stone carving "'of your warrior prototype, Monsieur Gervaise. "'You seem very much abstracted. "'I asked you before if you were not well, "'but you never answered me.' "'I am perfectly well,' replied Gervaise, "'with some irritation. "'The heat is rather trying, that is all, "'but I attach no importance to that stone freeze. "'One can easily imagine likenesses "'where there are really none.' true, and the doctor smiled to himself, and said no more. Just then a wild burst of music sounded suddenly through the apartment, and he turned round in lively anticipation to watch the proceedings. The middle of the room was now quite clear, and presently, moving with the silent grace of swans on still water, came four girls, closely veiled, carrying quaintly shaped harps and lutes, a Nubian servant followed them, and spread a gold-embroidered carpet upon the ground, whereon they all sat down and began to thrum the strings of their instruments in a muffled, dreamy manner, playing a music which had nothing of melody in it, and which yet vaguely suggested a passionate tune. This thrumming went on for some time, when all at once from a side entrance in the hall a bright, apparently winged thing bounded from the outer darkness into the centre of the hall, a woman clad in glistening cloth of gold and veiled entirely in misty folds of white, who, raising her arms, gleaming with jewelled bangles high above her head, remained poised on tiptoe for a moment, as though about to fly. Her bare feet, white and dimpled, sparkled with gems and glittering anklets, her skirts, as she moved, showed fluttering flecks of white and pink, like the leaves of may blossoms shaken by a summer breeze. The music grew louder and wilder, and a brazen clang from unseen cymbals prepared her as it seemed for flight. She began her dance, slowly, gliding mysteriously from side to side, anon turning suddenly with her head lifted, as though listening for some word of love, which should recall her or command, then bending down again, 
she seemed to float lazily like a creature that was dancing in a dream without conscious knowledge of her actions the brazen cymbals clashed again and then with a wild beautiful movement like that of a hunted stag leaping the brow of a hill the dancer sprang forward turned pirouetted and tossed herself round and round giddily with a marvellous and exquisite celerity as if she were nothing but a bright circle of gold spinning in clear ether spontaneous applause broke forth from every part of the hall the guests crowded forward staring and almost breathless with amazement dr dean got up in a state of the greatest excitement clapping his hands involuntarily and gervaise every nerve in his body quivering advanced one or two steps feeling that he must stop this bright wild wanton thing in her incessant whirling or else die in the hunger of love which consumed his soul denzil murray glanced at him and after a pause left his side and disappeared suddenly with a quick movement the dancer loosened her golden dress and misty veil and tossing them aside like falling leaves she stood confessed a marvellous glowing vision in silvery white no other than the princess ziska shouts echoed from every part of the hall ziska ziska and at the name lady chetwynd lyle rose in all her majesty from the seat she had occupied till then and in tones of virtuous indignation said to lady Falkwood, i told you the princess was not a proper person now it is proved i am right to think i should have brought dolly and muriel here i shall really never forgive myself come sir chetwynd let us leave this place instantly and stout sir chetwynd gloating on the exquisite beauty of the princess ziska's form as she still danced on in her snowy white attire her lovely face alight with mirth at the surprise she had made for her guests tried his best to look sanctimonious and signally failed in the attempt as he answered certainly certainly my dear most improper most astonishing while lady Falkwood answered innocently is it do you really think so oh dear i suppose it is improper it must be you know but it is most delightful and original and while the chetwynd lyles thus moved to depart in a cloud of outraged propriety followed by others who likewise thought it well to pretend to be shocked at the proceeding gervaise dizzy breathless and torn by such conflicting passions as he could never express was in a condition more mad than sane my god he muttered under his breath this this is love this is the beginning and end of life to possess her to hold her in my arms heart to heart lips to lips this is what all the eternal forces of nature meant when they made me man and he watched with strained passionate eyes the movements of the princess ziska as they grew slower and slower till she seemed floating merely like a foam bell on a wave and then from some unseen quarter of the room a rich throbbing voice began to sing oh for the passionless peace of the lotus lily it floats in a waking dream on the waters chilly with its leaves unfurled to the wondering world knowing naught of the sorrow and restless pain 
that burns and tortures the human brain oh for the passionless peace of the lotus lily oh for the pure cold heart of the lotus lily bared to the moon on the waters dark and chilly a star above as its only love and one brief sigh of its scented breath is all it will ever know of death oh for the pure cold heart of the lotus lily as the sound died away in a sigh rather than a note the princess Siska's dancing ceased altogether a shout of applause broke from all assembled and in the midst of it there was a sudden commotion and excitement and dr dean was seen bending over a man's prostrate figure the great french painter armand gervaise had suddenly fainted End of chapter eleven